Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. All right, now we're ready to go into Romans chapter 12. All right, so I beseech you. Therefore, on the basis of everything that he has written or taught in those first eight chapters, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, that's just not empty talk. When you go back and reflect on everything that was written in those first eight chapters, what is really exploding throughout those eight chapters of Romans? The mercy of God. He is not some... Uh, what shall I say, some ogre up there that's just waiting to zap people when they've done something wrong. Neither is he a Santa Claus waiting to be manipulated. But he is a God of mercy. Now, just to reflect, I'm not going to take you all the way back Scripture by Scripture because we're not going to have time for that today. But you remember as we came into chapter 1, 2, and 3, God, by the pen of the Apostle Paul, built his case against the whole human race. Remember that? First was the immoral person. No doubt that he stood in need. But then he went from that immoral person to a good moral person. And then he went from the immoral to the moral to the religious Jew. Because after all, the Jews were the only real religion of Paul's day. And so then you come into chapter 3, what was the conclusion? Whether they were immoral, or whether they were moral, or whether they were religious Jew, they were all enemies of God. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And then the capstone of it all, of course, is Romans 3, verse 23, where he says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The immoral, the moral, the religious, everyone has come short of the glory of God. And then what's the very next verse in chapter 3? Being justified freely by His grace, which we have in the redemption in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on into the next verse, that we are justified by faith in His shed blood. And that Christ is just, He's fair, He's honest, in being the justifier of them that Oh, not all the things that a lot of people think they have to do. Join the church, get baptized, do this and do that. But he's the justifier of them that what? Believe. See? And that gets so simple, it just throws a curve at people and they just about go into orbit. But that's what the book says. That he is the justifier of them that believe. And then you go into chapter 4. And he uses Abraham as that epitome of faith. 
The man who, when he was a hundred years old, when God said, you're going to have a son, and from your 90-year-old wife, and from that child, I'm going to build a nation of people. Romans 4 says, he staggered not in unbelief. But what did he do? He believed God, who was rich in mercy, even to the man Abraham. And then you come into chapter 5. And what's the first verse of chapter 5? All being justified by faith, we have peace with God. See? And then you come into chapter 6, and he goes through this whole idea of being identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that just as surely as Christ was crucified on that Roman cross, you and I have been crucified. And, of course, Paul brings that to the light then in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been, what? Crucified with Christ. See? That's what he says. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet the life I now live, I live by the faith or the faithfulness of him who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, now, all of this is what Paul is making reference to. And then you remember we came into chapter 7, and he came into this dilemma that every one of us are faced with. Oh, the things that we know we should do, we don't. And the things that we know we shouldn't do, we do. And Paul went through that same dilemma. And then he ended up chapter 7 by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? And then chapter 8, verse 1. You remember, I, I just shared it with Louise again. That's the chapter I said you're studying. If every American would read Romans chapter 8 once a day, we'd see a change in this country just from that one chapter. And what does chapter 8, verse 1 say? There is therefore, again, because of everything that has happened this far, there is therefore now what? No condemnation. None to those who are in Christ Jesus. And how do we get in Christ Jesus? Believing the gospel. Okay, then now I want you to turn back with me to chapter 8. And I want you to see those closing verses from which we're going to jump right around 9, 10, and 11 and go to Romans 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, that tremendous chapter of our great salvation, not based on what we have done, but what Christ has done on our behalf. And then you come down to verse 35 through 39, and we have to read them. These are just so beyond human comprehension that we have to read it and read it and read it and believe it and believe it and believe it. And here it is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's the world's attitude toward the believer. Has been ever since the beginning of time, even back in the Old Testament economy. Why did the pagan people around Israel so hate the Jew? Because of their relationship with their Creator God. And it hasn't changed. It's still the same way. All right, then verse 37 of Romans 8, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And then verse 38, the apostles' words should be our words. We should be able to say exactly the same thing. For I am 
persuaded. Now the Greek persuaded or the word persuaded in the Greek is much stronger than what we normally think of finally consenting to something. It is a word that denotes absolute certainty without a doubt. And look what it says. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor even things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature, nothing in all of God's creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And that love is shown where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Now then, with that as a background, everything that we've reviewed in these first eight chapters, now flip over to Romans 12 and my what this verse says. I beseech you, therefore. Now, what does the word beseech really mean? It's a begging. See, I plead with you. In other words, is Paul by inspiration laying down a command that you will or else? See, this is the difference. and We're going to see it now in another word in a little bit. This is the difference between grace and law. Law said, pick up sticks on the Sabbath day and what's the result? Death by stoning. Now, we're not under that. If we sin, if we fail, we're not going to be utterly chastised or cast out. But God is going to deal with us in love. We know he's going to discipline when we fail if we don't respond. And he'll move on from one level of discipline to another. But it's still the whole idea. It's up to us. As a believer, we have such intense liberty that very few people in Christendom understand. In fact, turn with me to Galatians. We'll see the word, how he uses it. Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1. And remember, Galatians is written because these believers were being hammered by the Jewish believers to come back under the law, to practice circumcision and Judaism to the fullest extent. And Paul had to write this little letter to refute all that. We're not under the law. We're not under any demands of those commandments. And so instead, he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore. And that means just exactly what it says. Be immovable, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, which is legalism. You see that? So... When you enter into that salvation that we talked about back in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and all the ramifications of it, justification, sanctification, forgiveness, baptized into the body, the Holy Spirit indwelling, and on and on we could go. Oh, what did all that imply? That we're in Christ, but we've also been set free. A liberty like nothing else on this planet. We are set free. All right, now then, if you come back to Romans 12, verse 1, with this whole concept that as a believer, as a child of God, who has the promises that nothing can separate us from the love of God, we have the promise that now being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now he goes on to say, Therefore, by the mercies of God, 
present. And that means just exactly what it says. Present it. You just simply say, Lord, here am I. Like Isaiah of old. And what did he say? Send me. And that's all we have to do. We don't have to cross raging rivers. We don't have to run from this place to another. We don't have to go out and try to get an education that God can use. We just simply say, Lord, here am I. Use me. And that's presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. And that throws a curve at us, because ordinarily, what do we think of as a sacrifice? Well, the animals that were killed, that gave up their life as Christ, the sacrifice that was killed. He was put to death on the cross. But you see, the death that we now die is an, a substitutionary death in the person of Christ. That's what Paul meant in Galatians. I've been crucified, but is he dead? No, he's living. He's writing the very book of Galatians when he said it. And same way with us. As a believer, yes, we've died. We have been put to death in the mind of God on the cross of Calvary. We died when Christ died. But oh, we're alive. And now it's our duty, not a command, but it's our duty that in, in light of everything that God has done on our behalf, and we did nothing. We just, I'm going to use the, 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 the statement merely for shock. Spiritually, we had to stand before God stark naked. That's the best way I can put it. With no hope of anywhere getting any help. Because a naked person, when he's caught in a predicament, he's not going to go out and look for a set of clothes. He's going to hope for the best, isn't he? All right, now that's exactly where we were spiritually. We were naked before God. We had nothing we could do. We didn't even have fig leaves. And so we just had to stand there at His mercy. And mercy was poured out. And He came in and He did everything that needs to be done, if we'll just simply believe it. All right, now what is then a living sacrifice? Well, I'm going to take you back to Hebrews. Hebrews, of course, is the book written to the Hebrews, and it was in light of all the Old Testament sacrifices and ritual and what have you. But back here in Hebrews, chapter 13, I'm going to take you off the hook. I'm going to give you the idea of presenting your body a living sacrifice from the time you get up in the morning until you lay your head back on the pillow at night. And it's so easy. It's so easy, especially for those of us living in blessed America. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Hebrews 13, verse 15. And I hope you'll take this verse with you from this day forward, whether you're here in the studio or whether you're with me out in television. Because this is all God's looking for. This is that living sacrifice that he is asking. Now, he's not demanding it. He's not commanding it, but he is asking for it. That's what the word beseech means. I'm asking you. I'm begging of you. Now, here it is. By him, that is the crucified Christ up there in verses 12, 13. By him, by virtue of his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. By him, therefore, let us offer the what? Sacrifice, not of an animal, not of our own blood, but the sacrifice of the praise to God continually, that is, 
the fruit of our what? Lips. What do you do with your lips? You speak. See? And this is the living sacrifice that God is looking for first and foremost. He wants to hear our lips speak praise and thanksgiving to him all day, every day. And that's the easiest way to fulfill Romans chapter 12. Now, I'll guarantee that you have a believer who is going to be offering lips of praise to God seven days a week. You're going to have a believer that's going to start accomplishing things for God as well. I mean, it's just going to work hand in glove. It's that automatic. All right, so offering then the praise to God, the fruit of our lips, and giving thanks to his name. All right, now then, if you'll come back with Romans chapter 12, and again in verse 1, this living sacrifice, don't let it stop with the lips of praise. Like I said, it's always going to move on into other areas of your life. But in this living sacrifice, holy. Now, that scares people. It used to me. Boy, I didn't want to be thought of as holy, because then you're just sort of out of everything, you know. You're some sort of a kook, and you're some kind of an oddball. Listen, Christianity is never that. And I'm going to show you that I was right years and years ago in a nomenclature that I used, and I just saw it in the Greek last week for the first time, but I'm going to hold that for a minute. But here we are, holy. What does it mean? Just simply set apart. That's all. Now, when the vessels in the temple were declared holy, what did that mean? Well, they were set apart for temple use, nothing else. In other words, the high priest's wife couldn't come in down to the temple and say, Oh, honey, I have to use one of those ladles. Mine, mine disappeared. No, she couldn't do that. Because those instruments were set apart for temple use and nothing else. All right, that's what we're for. We are a set-apart people. Now, that doesn't put us out in oddball. doesn't put us out in left field. But it does, in God's mind, designate us as people of the book, as people who are living to please Him first. Now, I've tried to tell my kids over the years, that comes down to the word priority. You have to set your priorities. What is most important in your life? Well, the Scriptures teach, even all the way back to Christ's earthly ministry, Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of heaven, and then all these other things can be added unto you. But priority says, God first. And then these other things can come in their rightful place. All right? A living sacrifice, holy or set apart, acceptable. That's easy enough to understand. Acceptable unto God. Now, here's where I want to show you a little Greek that I've never even known before, which is your reasonable service. Now, for, I guess, almost 20 years since I've been teaching the Book of Romans off and on, I have told folk from day one, these last four chapters of Romans, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, five chapters. These last five chapters of Romans are just simply practical Christian living. Practical. And what, does I mean, what do I mean by practical? It's common. It's ordinary. There isn't anything in these five chapters that would take you out of the mainstream of your community that would take you out and, and make you, like I said earlier, a kook or some kind of an oddball. Everything in these five chapters is just as ordinary, as practical as anything you can get. And there again, 
If you could live in a community where people 99.9% lived out Romans 12 through 16, you'd be in the closest place to heaven on earth. But we won't do it. None of us do. But, oh, it's so practical. All right, now, where did I say the Greek all of a sudden realized that I was right all along? Well, here, this word reasonable service, as Paul uses it, are the two Greek words logiki, L-O-G-I-K-E, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right. And then the next word is latria, which means rituals or service. All right, now turn with me a minute so that you'll see what I'm driving at. Back to Hebrews again. Because this is the only way we can learn is by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Hebrews chapter 9. And as I said a moment ago, this book is rehearsing all of the Old Testament rituals of Judaism, explaining the Day of Atonement and all the rest. All right, now in chapter 9, verse 1. Then verily the first covenant, that is, of law, had also ordinances of divine service. Same Greek word, latria, as we have back in Romans, but the word divine comes from a different Greek word that implied the established or the prescribed ritual according to the law. That was prescribed. I mean, people, when they came to the temple, they knew exactly what they were to do and how and when. You know, I, I've accompanied uh, Catholic friends to, to one of their services. And I, I say this with no ridicule, within it, but it's just a, a fact of life. If you uh, that are not Catholic and you were to uh, attend a, a Roman Mass or something like that with a Catholic friend, and you know they'll get up and they'll kneel. And then they stand and they'll kneel. Well, the visitor, about five minutes into it, what does he become? Totally confused, because about the time you're kneeling, they're standing, see? All right, now the Jew was the same way. When they went into their synagogue service, they knew exactly when to sit, when to stand, when to respond, see? There was no confusion, because it was an established ritual. It was a religious service. All right, now come back to Romans chapter 12, and we have the same service word, latria, but instead of divine or ritualistic or religious, our word is in the Greek logiki, L-O-G-I-K-E, and our translators, for the most part, have translated it intelligent. I'll read it that way. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your intelligent form of service. Or logical service or practical. Isn't that beautiful? We're no longer under the demands of a certain ritual. You'll do it this way and this way and this way. No, we're set free. We're not under any particular commanding type of ritual. We are an individual accountable to God and God alone. And that is our logical, practical service. I like that. I don't know whether you're catching it, but my, when I saw this last week as I was getting ready for this, I don't... Well, now, that's exactly what I've been telling people, but I didn't have the Greek to prove it. But now I do. That for the Jew or for a person who is in a religion, they have to follow the ritual. But you and I, as set-free believers, we don't have a prescribed ritual that we follow. 
but we are just simply in tune with God, and we do that which, of course, He leads us to do. All right, now in the moment or two that we have left, we've got to go into verse 2. And here I told the class I was hoping I could finish the book of Romans today. I'd like to keep all these uh, chapters on, on one tape if possible, so I'm going to still work to that end. But on verse 2, and he says, Be not conformed to this, what? World. Now, the word world in Scripture usually is used in two Greek words, cosmos, from which we get the word cosmopolitan, or it's ion, which means age. In other words, we are not to be molded by the God of this age or the God of this world. See? Now, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, once Adam fell and he dropped the ball of dominion that he was given to carry, who picked it up? Well, Satan did. And what does the Scripture call Satan? the God of this world. The world, in John says, lies in the lap of the, what? The wicked one. And that's where most of the people are tied to. But this verse says, don't you be conformed to this world and the God of it. Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at one 800 369 7856. That's 1-800-369-7856. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.